Good morning. Um, we're going to read the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50. Um, but before we go there, first of all, this is something new. I've never uh, put something together in about 45 minutes. But there is something on my mind, and I think we'll share it because it, it came out in Don's opening this morning, and then also we talked a little bit about some of it in Sunday school. Um, but you're going to have to bear with me because it's, it's fairly underdeveloped here. So I haven't had a lot of time to, to really think about it. But as I scanned through when Gail asked me this morning on this 50th chapter, um, I scanned through it. And so starting about the, first of all, as a child, um, the story of Joseph was really, it was my favorite story. Um, I'd have my parents just read it over and over. Um, but toward the end, I think starting at the 15th verse, is really what started to take my eye. Um, and so Don opened this morning talking about love and hate. And um, hatred has been on my mind. And then when we went into Sunday school, um, Zach started talking about truth. And um, that's been a lot on my mind. So a year ago, or longer actually, um, <laughs> Sorry, somebody left their pen up here. Um, <laughs> so a year ago, um, when this whole COVID thing started coming out, I kind of just kept wondering, you know, what, what is the, what's, what's behind all this? You know, what is the truth? And then that whole situation with the election and, and every day my prayer was is that God would expose the lies and reveal the truth. 
And at some point in time, I think Phil preached a sermon on Revelation about how um, that, that God, the revealer, needs to reveal truth to people. And, and my prayer just kind of changed, even for my unsaved children, that God would just reveal himself to them and, and truth would be revealed. Well, now we're starting, and this has been going on, but now this whole thing of hatred and, and um, uh, this whole deal of critical race, and I don't, I don't even really understand it. Um, I try not to follow it too much, but I looked something up, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's short here, and it's on this critical race theory, and just bear with me. Like I said, it's a little underdeveloped, but there's, something, there's somewhere I want to go here. The theory is very radical, and in the sense that it questions fundamental assumptions, and unlike some strands of academic and legal thought, critical race theory has an open and an activist agenda with an emphasis on storytelling and personal experience. And this is what I want. It's about righting wrongs, not just questing after knowledge. Um, a couple weeks ago, Mary-Kate spent the weekend with several of her siblings up on the farm. They was having a work day. And um, most of you know this, and I don't want to get too personal, but her and her three younger siblings were literally abandoned by their parents, like just abandoned. And through our dating time and our time of um, our early years, she had an uncanny love while well, the siblings were like, as close as any siblings could be. There was just like this inseparable bond, which I couldn't understand because we didn't have that. Plus, you know, my siblings are really old. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, um, she had this uncanny love for her mother and her dad. And I couldn't understand it because they left her, they abandoned her. And I, you know, I asked her one time, and she, and she just said, well, I just simply choose to forgive, and I'm not going to live my life destroyed by pain. I'm just going to forgive. And while she was walking with one of her siblings on the farm, she brought up some things about what happened 40 years ago, and one of her brothers is still just locked up in all of that pain. He hasn't forgiven, and he's just very, very, he got angry and basically walked away, and he's, he's, He's just locked up in, in pain. Um, earlier this week, we decided to, to watch a, a series, and I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to go in that, go down that road. But we got halfway in it, and I said, this has an agenda to stir up hate. It is not based on facts. It's not based on total truth. And so I started reading about it, and sure enough, it's this new thing that's out there that's, that's to stir up hate. And so I just kind of want to, I guess where I would like, to, I don't know what Gail's going to talk on, but I would like to just focus on forgiveness and choosing to forgive. Probably no one else in here has been abandoned, but you might have been bullied as a child. You may have had an abusive parent. You may have had some kind of a terrible loss. And instead of walking in locked-up pain, just choose to forgive because there's freedom in it. And I've lived with that freedom for 30-some uh, years and can attest to it that choosing to forgive is the way to go. So let's read together here um, the 50th chapter of Genesis. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants and physicians to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are they fulfilled of the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die, and in my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou, there shalt thou bury in the land of there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury the father according to as he made thee swear. 
And Joseph went up and buried, to bury his father, and with him went all, up all his servants of Pharaoh, and the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And all of the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was very great company. And they came into the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with the great and very sore lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land of Canaanites saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is grievous mourning to the Egyptians, wherefore the name of it is called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him out into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the fields of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field of his possessions of the burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and they all went up with him to bury his father. And after he had buried his father... And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and he will certainly requite, requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent messengers unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, and trespass the trespasses of thy brethren and their sins, for they did they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive thy trespass of the servants of God, of the Father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we shall be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, for, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And be, he comforted them, and he spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of the land and into the land which he sware unto Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry upon my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So, so Joseph here not only was able to be free of the bitterness of unforgiveness, but he was also able to bless those that he was forgiving. And so I just challenge us that we can do the same thing with the hurts in our lives. Um, so before we go to prayer, Kent, I'm going to call on you to pray. Um, so do we have any prayer requests? Yeah. Clem's friends, Wade and Jessica, they prayed for years for a baby, and one came, but it died. So just pray for their... Yes, Sue? Uh, my brother's family, he passed away three years ago. His wife passed away. His son passed away. Um, his children, so pray for the Peters family in Virginia. Um, Sue's sister-in-law passed away. And for their children. Ryan?
So your parents have it too. Okay. So Marion and Teresa and his siblings yeah. get through COVID. Okay. Phil? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah Karen? Thank you, Karen, for all your service here. Yeah, Arlene. Yeah, pray for general conference that the spirit would be moving. David. And for Tim Rice and his cancer and treatment. Anyone? Yeah, Phil. Yeah, so pray for Paul Skiles as he prepares for this weekend of preaching. Okay, let's pray, Kent.
when I was taking prayer requests, I, my phone buzzed and I didn't read it, but I got a text from John Moeller um, showing his doctor's report and just asking for prayer for him. He does have a brain tumor and it is going to be removed. Maybe you know more, but just he just said some prayer things. So maybe as we sing, just kind of keep John in your prayer as well. Good morning in the name of Jesus Christ. I just want to re-echo the words of Sister Karen. For those of you who were not here when we started at 9.30 this morning, the first words out of our mouth in public worship was, To God be the glory. If that is your heart, say amen. amen. To God be the glory. Hallelujah. That's why we're here. For God's glory. His maximum glory from all of our lives. We were taught first this morning about our relationships. And relationships are mighty fragile things. And they can be disturbed by hate or they can grow because of love. And then as we went further in our study, in our Sunday school class, we had the contrast of darkness and light, and whether or not in my own heart I will choose to seek the truth or whether I will seek to live in comfort. You know, God came in his son to comfort me, but not to make me comfortable. My heart's really beating fast right now. I didn't ask Bill to open until we came this morning, and he said, you have anything you'd like for me to talk about? And I said, no, just however the Spirit works. And you know he works that way just almost every time. Bill talked about the very thing that's on my heart that I want to talk about today. You know, we've been blessed as a people through all of my lifetime to be able to come to worship in a public way freely. And that is a wonderful blessing that I never want to take for granted. But you know, I think there's a lot of people that have been physically free to come to worship in various congregations this morning that are not spiritually free. They have come, but they are still in bondage and pain. In fact, I think some of the pain is so deep in their heart, they are locked up even against God. And maybe there's nobody here like that this morning, but you probably know somebody that is. Bill did. And so I'm going to submit to you this morning the reason that I 
feel like that that is a fact among congregations is because I have stood in front of congregations and preached for the last 35 or 40 years, and you know, the, win the, the eye is a window to the heart. And when I stand here and look into the eyes of a congregation, sometimes eyes betray guilt and shame. Sometimes eyes are weeping with grief. Sometimes they're just glazed over and you can tell a heart's dead. And sometimes they glow with a loving relationship. Hallelujah for that. I'm just going to ask you this morning, what's going on in here in your own heart? The last message we shared here we entitled are you free and we spoke of people who live in the past on the past and with the past and sometimes that brings people into bondage you don't have to turn there but i'm going to read just about three verses out of hebrews this morning for us to think about this is right after the chapter of Old Testament heroes of faith we're going to read the first three verses of Hebrews 12 wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And I suppose... That's been analyzed as a lot of different kinds of sin, the sin of unbelief and so on and so forth. This morning I'm going to submit to you that the sin of unforgiveness probably brings one of the deepest bondages of the heart that there can be. I suppose we could break that down somewhat. Not accepting the forgiveness that God offers me through Jesus Christ. Not releasing my whole heart to him. Not accepting forgiveness from another. Not extending forgiveness to another. You know, I'm going to say this, and I think that this is what Bill told us this morning. That one of the greatest victories to getting past the past is forgiveness. Right, Mary-Kate? That's right. Well, we've had Matthew 18, a portion of that from the 10th verse through the 22nd read several times, and I hope we do a lot more. And, um, you know, we understand that section of Scripture to be the golden rule of life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ to deal with offenses. And if, if that step was followed, the very first step, there shouldn't be any unforgiveness. Restoration should be complete. Redemption should be a joy. All of those things. But, well, I guess I'll say this first. I wanted to, I wanted to put a, a title to the, to the message this morning, The Joy of Forgiveness. You know, the last verse we stopped reading at there is, is uh, Jesus' instruction to Peter to forgive and, and to have the blessing of forgiving 490 times or 70 times 7. Just the blessing of unconditional forgiveness. Yeah. 
So if Matthew 18 was implemented in its correct way, there would be there would be forgiveness, restoration, there would be joy of redemption. But uh, what about the things that aren't included there in Matthew 18? Let's just think of a couple of those. Um, what, what if I, in my heart, can't surrender to the sovereignty of God? His sovereign will is a challenge for a lot of people, and I'm talking about believers. You know, if, if God really, really loved me and understood my life, why, why would I be dealing with this right now? And so on and so forth. And that's, that's a challenge for some people. And I think it's probably a challenge for all of us if we would like to really search our hearts about it. We feel violated by the sovereignty of God. What about all those things that are in my past? You know, sometimes people have a hard time forgiving themselves or allowing God to forgive them. They think they've sinned too much and God can't forgive them. That, I'd like to rob you of that thought. God wants to forgive you. Well, how about dealing with uh, people outside the kingdom of God? How are we going to deal with that and have the joy of forgiveness? You know, a, <clears throat> a man met me one time to talk a little, and he's, he's, he'd been old enough to be my father. But you know, what he wanted to talk about was slander against his family by some folks years and years past and all of those people were already passed on how's he going to deal with that he can't go to those people how's he going to deal with forgiveness <clears throat> how will i deal with forgiveness well really there's only really two basic concepts here, and one is the joy of forgiveness, me surrendering my whole heart in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, and that brings freedom to my heart. Or the other concept is unforgiveness, which brings bondage and pain. But there's a third concept that's really resting on my heart this morning, that I want to address, especially to this, this congregation. A lot of young people here. There's a lot of young families here, several middle-aged families, and just a few of us older ones. But I would like to submit to you that you are a minister. And I think you know that. And probably one of your greatest ministries and the most excitement that you have in your ministry is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel message of kingdom life. You know, I'd like you to think about another ministry in your life. And that is the brother or the sister that's sitting right beside of you or in the row right ahead of you or in the row right behind you that have put on their mask this morning. And I'm not talking about a COVID mask. They've put on their smile. They've said they're great. They said they feel just fine, but underneath that all, you know their heart hurts. I think there's an opportunity to minister to that broken heart of that person who is right next to you. You know we're all flawed people. We know that. I can't control or change what people do to me as they interact with me in relationship. 
And I can't control a lot of my circumstances or a lot of my experiences. I can't control when I was born, where I was born, whether I was born in a small family, a large family, in the city, in the country. A lot of those things I have no control over. But I can have the proper attitude toward those who have hurt me. The joy of forgiveness. Until 70 times 7. Well, I want you to open your books to Matthew 18, and we're going to start where we leave off. We leave off with the 22nd verse, so we're going to start with the 23rd one. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants, which, when he had begun to reckon... One was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Let's pause a moment there. We read right over that. You know how much a talent is? Several years' wages. And he owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, the Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll repay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him all the debt. And we'll stop reading right there. That's a picture of our position before a God of mercy and grace. God was merciful to me. He did not require the payment that I owed him. In fact, if he had it, I couldn't have paid it anyway. Mercy. He did not require from me what was due. And grace, he gave me what I did not deserve, forgiveness and relationship with him. He desires that. So, I think we'll just read on here now. That, that gave us a picture of, of the kingdom and, and uh, the joy of being forgiven. Let's, let's read on. But the same servant, now this is the one that the Lord had forgiven, the 10,000 talents. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him 100 pence, and that's about $15, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and told their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldn't thou have also forgiven thy, had compassion on thy fellow servant, as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due him. Now let's look at this last verse. So likewise... Shall my heavenly Father do unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses? That's a pretty strong verse right there, isn't it? So the, the choice is either forgive and live in the joy of freedom, or not forgive and be locked in bondage. And uh, this was a poor choice that this servant made that owed 15 pence, that owed the, that owed the uh, 10,000 talents and required the 15 pence of the other man. It says, but he went out, and these are the... Well, let, let's say this first. You know, the devil wants you locked in unforgiveness. He wants your heart locked up to God. 
And the Bible tells us that God's love is unconditional toward us. That's what Brother Don told us this morning. His love is eternal. It's unconditional to us. But the devil will say, no, God's love's conditional. If you've sinned too much, he won't love you anymore. If you're not performing good enough, he don't love you anymore. You know, the Bible tells us that he created us to have relationship with us. And so if you have any of those thoughts, I just encourage you just, just to take some time and ask the Lord if he loves you. Ask him if he wants to forgive you. Ask him if he wants a relationship with you. Do that in a personal way. Give him time to answer. See what he says. You know, Satan wants you locked in your pain, and he wants you locked against God. And you know why he does? Because if you're free and you have the joy of forgiveness, you're going to be effective in the kingdom, and he don't want that. So what were the evidences of this man that wouldn't forgive toward others? He had a critical attitude toward his brother. He didn't want to forgive him. He was insensitive. He was ungrateful. He couldn't appreciate him. He had revenge in his heart. He desired justice. And he could not trust him. He wanted him to pay everything. He couldn't trust him to pay him off as he had an opportunity to. All of these are self-focused. So if these evidences really become facts in this as they did in this man's life through poor choices, what are the consequences? If I do not choose to forgive, the writer of Proverbs, I believe it was, instructed us like this, the merciful man doth good to his soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. The consequences of unforgiveness is resentment. And you can follow it right through the verses that we just read. Resentment, anger, anger that is settled in and continuous in my heart. Malice, that's inner hatred of the heart. Not love, but inner hatred. And finally, rage. Out-of-control anger manifests in sin outwardly in the life, externally. Poor choices not only keep me in bondage, but they affect others in a negative way. Without the joy of forgiveness, I cannot respond to God. I cannot respond to others. I will only react in a negative way. I can't enjoy relationship that he wants me to have and that he wants me to have with you if I am unwilling to forgive. Well, let's, uh, let's think about our ministering a little bit. I think we challenged us all that we're ministers. I think that's Bible. We all are. When uh, others are ministering to me, or I am ministering to others, how will a locked heart come to freedom? Brother Zach gave us a wonderful illustration of that in our Sunday school class this morning. You know, I cannot, in relationship, come from above down on somebody and expect them to open their heart. I have to come up underneath of them if they are going to open their heart. Otherwise, they will stay locked up. Well, you know, I could in my ministry just, uh, we'll use some examples. Well, that incident was a long time ago. It's time you forget that and forgive and go on. Well, just write all of those things that are a pain in your heart and where you feel like you're unforgiven, just write them all down on a piece of paper and go burn it. 
Or I could say, well, you need to just read this verse and this verse and this verse. Or maybe I could just quote to them scripture, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Or let the peace that Jesus gave you live there. My peace I give unto you, my peace I leave with you. You know what? None of those things work very well. You know why they don't? Because they're all just an intellectual exercise. That's why they don't work. You know, our age we live in is quite an age of information, but it hasn't done much for relationships. And the reason is, is because it's head knowledge. You know, I could even observe all of the instructions in Matthew 18 and still be in bondage. I'll just give you an illustration. Several years ago, there was an offender, and it didn't get taken care of in the first two steps of Matthew 18, and it got before the congregation of the church. And the offender was asked to make an acknowledgement before the congregation in the church. And they made an acknowledgement, but the church was not satisfied with the offender's acknowledgement. So they asked for another one. And the offender said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What more do you want me to say? You know, that didn't set him free. Didn't set him free. You know why it didn't? We must deal with the problem at the core of the problem. We sometimes only treat the symptoms of a problem and we do not deal with the core of the problem. The core of the problem is right here in my heart and I must deal with the core of the problem where the problem is and be cleansed where the pain is. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. just want to read one verse there. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord. This is Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I don't know how much you've studied that verse, but you'll notice that the first thing that Jesus says there is that the Holy Spirit anointed his heart for his ministry. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit of God anointed the Son of God in his heart for the ministry that was before him. You know, the Holy Spirit prompts the heart, not the head. For your homework, I'd like for you to study the 8th chapter of Romans and see how the relationship with the Holy Spirit works at the heart of mankind. So I want to go back to our ministry now, to the hurting heart of the masked smile that sits right beside of us or in front of us. None of those head knowledge experiences of the intellect are going to work. So what should we do? You know, if I in ministering to somebody who has a hurting heart. I need to open my heart to them in the first place. But encourage them, and this is another thing I want to say first too, I must definitely be a safe place for them to be. 
And I must encourage them in this. To audibly open their heart to God, be specific about their pain. Let Jesus know what their pain is. And encourage them to be patient and let the Holy Spirit speak to their heart. He is the one who will cleanse the heart and get the pain out. The Holy Spirit must heal and free the heart. Now I want to look at the principles of God for a moment. God chooses to forgive, but God commendeth his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died. A lamb slain from the foundation of the earth for me, for you. We've been studying in Ephesians. Go back to the first chapter and read it. Before the foundation of the world, before you were, God chose you in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And Christ, God chooses to forgive, and Christ chose the cross. Let's think about that for a moment. He was flesh just like you are, although he was all God, and he chose the cross. He didn't want to in his flesh. He said that. He said, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. However, my will submitted to thine. You know, the cross equals a love for sinners, a hatred for sin, and a joy for what was set before him, the forgiveness of my heart in relationship to God. Another homework assignment. Not going to have time to go there. Isaiah 55, Jeremiah 31, Psalms 103. The mercy, the abundant pardon, the forgiveness of God, the remembrance of sin no more, the removal of sin as far as the east is from the west. The principles of God and forgiveness. When I choose to forgive, it's not going to be easy. I want you to know that. Now, there are some sins that an offender can have and against those that they would offend that can be paid for. Again, in our Sunday school class, Marcia gave the example of a man who had stole a horse. He could give that horse back. And he could make restitution. But you know, there's some things I can't make restitution that way for. You know, if I have moral sin in my life, I just can't go repay that like giving back a horse. It won't work that way. So this is the question. Will I choose to go to the cross and pay the emotional pain that another has caused against me? Well, why, why do I have to pay? Why do I have to pay for the pain of, the fail, of a failure of another toward me? Am I willing to do that? Will I choose to do that? Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. God gave the very fondest object of his heart, Jesus Christ, for the debt of my sin. Considering the enormous debt that I owe that I couldn't pay, can I not forgive others? 
You know, God is just and God demands payment. But God is the justifier of his own justice and he made payment for me through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And the result is forgiveness. Now this is another important principle that I think all of us need to get. In forgiving others, I cannot repay the penalty like Jesus did for me on the cross. I cannot repay the penalty for their sin. But I can pay the emotional damage and pain they have caused me. I can release that at the cross. I have the power to do that through the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And the choice in my heart is either to demand payment and remain in bondage and pain or to extend forgiveness and have the joy of freedom and forgiveness. I choose to pay. In releasing releasing others, I get free also. You know, uh, the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, we read oftentimes in Matthew. I think in Luke it might be recorded just a little bit differently. Fourth verse of Luke 11 reads like this. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted unto us. That says that we've already chosen to do that, so that's why, that's why the Lord would want to forgive us. Is that the case in my own heart? Well, there are some principles to remember, I think, in the process of forgiveness and the joy of forgiveness. And that is, number one, it's costly. Someone pays for sin's emotional pain, either the one committing the sin or the one the sin is committed against, and oftentimes both. Just use the example of moral failure in a marriage. Maybe one partner had nothing to do with that moral failure, but they will still have to pay the emotional pain it causes them in their heart if they want to be free. Do I really want to live in freedom? Another principle is is assuming the responsibility for another's wrongs committed against me by going to the cross and releasing others for what they have done against me. And it's substitutional, just like Jesus did for us. You know, when we feel like blaming others, and we talked about this, I think, in the other message, it's pretty easy to use projection. It wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's. Again, I think that was brought up in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Maybe as a child, you never felt like you were good enough. Maybe you were verbally abused, or maybe you still are now. Maybe you feel unloved, unworthiness, etc., etc. You just fill all that in. You know, when I feel pain and I want to say it's somebody else's fault, I'm choosing justice rather than choosing forgiveness. I would rather... It would be that I would say in my heart, I choose to forgive and enjoy the joy of forgiveness until 70 times 7. The joy of forgiveness. So there are keys to those principles in the joy of forgiveness. One of them is release. And that's getting the pain out at the cross. You know, I can't just continually stuff that pain down and in a compartment of my heart because when I do that, it's going to sometime erupt and I won't be free. I'll erupt in frustration, in anger, 
and evil, and you can just go on and on with that, because the pain is still there. I must go to the cross and release it. Now, I want to say this. I probably won't forget all the past, but this is the point. I should be able to go back there to the past and have freedom and it not bring me into bondage anymore. Being able to go back to the past without pain. <clears throat> Pay for the emotional pain and not demand payment or carry the emotional pain. Let Jesus heal the pain inside through his Holy Spirit. Ask him if he feels your pain. Let him express himself to you. Be specific. Express him, it to him and let the Holy Spirit heal the pain in my heart. Well, we didn't get to Genesis 50. You can maybe study that on your own at home too. But there are some principles there. And I'll just mention a few of them in Joseph's life that I think set the stage for the joy of forgiveness. He let God be the judge. He recognized God's sovereignty in adversity. You know, God has a purpose and he will never waste pain if you give it to him. He's got a purpose. God is sovereign. He will not waste pain. And Joseph showed kindness and love. Joseph took responsibility for the pain his brothers had caused against him as they sinned against him. So I want to leave you with this for a benediction. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The three virtues of a freed heart. Kindness, tenderheartedness, and a forgiving spirit. May you enjoy the joy of forgiveness. God bless your heart.